Hi, and welcome to the Silver Screen Queens podcast. Every week we watch a movie and sit down here to talk about it. I'm Katie. I'm Mel. And we're your hosts. This week we watched Men in Black International, directed by F. Gary Gray and released in 2019. The plot of the movie goes something like this. The Men in Black have always protected the Earth from the scum of the universe. In this new adventure, they tackle their biggest threat to date, a mole in the Men in Black organization. And um, as we usually do, we're going to do a little spoiler-free section now to let you guys know whether or not you should see the film. Melissa? Um, yeah, I mean, it's fun enough. I wrote some notes afterwards and, I, and they were headlined by the phrase, fun but forgettable. It's not a particularly clever or interesting plot, but the leads are charismatic and fun. There's some fun actors in there and it's a reasonably good adventure. And it I, kind of captures a bit of the spirit of the older ones, I guess. I, yeah, I feel like they sort of had an idea of what they wanted to do and then kind of half-assed the script on it. Like they definitely didn't know how to end this film. I wrote at least two more interesting movies in my head while we were watching this one, like kept thinking that interesting things were going to happen and then they just didn't. It it was almost confusing to me in how like straightforward and boring it was. Yeah, the, like it. the supposed twist is so obvious if you can't see it coming, like – how could you not see it coming? And and then that's actually what happens. Yeah, there's nothing. There's nothing to kind of keep any mystery going. So yeah, you're right. They kind of half-assed on that, but then it's got these really great actors in it who are having a lot of fun. And well, have- yeah, I yeah, that's what I was going to get to. Like, I feel like without Chris Hemsworth and Tessa Thompson, mm-hmm. and then also Emma Thompson in the film, it would have just kind of bombed. Mm. But they're so great, especially Tessa Thompson is so great in this movie. I love Tessa Thompson. She's so versatile and she can do so many different things. And in this movie, she's like cute and plucky and she does it so well. Yeah, I was watching her in this and I'm just like, she's so different from all the other roles you see. I've seen her in. Mm. Like she is this mousy, nerdy girl in this and that is exactly – like she just disappears into that persona mm. and it's so different from what you've seen her do as Valkyrie and then it's really different again from what you've seen her do as um when she was in Creed. Like it's just – she and just, when she was in Veronica Mars. Yeah, like you could be mistaken for thinking it's a completely different actor. She completely, I don't know, her whole body changes or something. She's really good. I know. She's fantastic. And she, to me, is the main kind of draw for this movie. She's wonderful. Um, Chris Hemsworth is um, looking especially pretty in this movie, but I found his character a bit boring yeah. and I kept thinking of ways to spice up the character. I have some issues with the way they did his character, which we'll talk about in the spoilers, but I have absolutely no issue in the way that he consented to being objectified all over the place because he's very pretty and they sh- they make use of that and they do some like useful and interesting things with ma- making him like the girl. Yeah, <laughs> but- except I really don't – I just don't like objectifying people that much anyway. Um, like this movie really objectifies him to the point where I was like, again, writing another movie in my head about him being like, um, you know, sexual abuse survivor and things like that because there was some really problematic stuff in here. Mm. Yeah, but to look at, lovely. Yes. But yeah, not so great on the way they ran- made his character go. And some really interesting aliens too that they kind of don't fully capitalize on yeah yeah and um kamal nanjani is the little like sidekick alien he's really fun too yeah he is so yeah we should probably get into some spoilers now but yeah this is the sort of movie if you like want to see it it's pretty fun and entertaining it's definitely i think it's better than at least one of the previous men in black franchise but it's definitely not as good as the first one yeah i i'm struggling to remember the second and third men in black movies i know i've seen them but it's 
yeah, it's decent fun, like, especially if you're a fan of the franchise. It's just nice to kind of like jump in for a bit. Yeah. From what I remember, the second one's okay, but the third one's the weird time travel one that like really kind of makes a mess of its own lore, oh. whereas the second one's all right. Yeah. So uh, if you haven't seen Men in Black International and you don't want to be spoiled, uh, pause the podcast now and come back when you have. Um, I think the thing for me from the first one that I remember the most like it really sticks in my memory is like what they were trying to protect was the little tiny galaxy inside mm-hmm. the cat pendant. Yeah. That was like an entire galaxy inside a cat pendant. And it was such an interesting idea. Mm. Like that by itself was such an interesting idea and such an interesting MacGuffin that it kind of, I mean, there's a lot of other th- interesting things in the movie, but you can tell that they had a really strong idea at the center of it. The MacGuffin in this is just a weapon. Yeah. It's just a weapon. Like, it's so bland and boring. Yeah, the galaxy felt like it had real stakes. Yeah, exactly. I mean, this does have stakes. It's just, it's not interesting that it's just a weapon that they're that mm. they're after, you know. It's much more interesting if it's a tiny galaxy. And, like, it that really plays with our sense of, like, our place in the galaxy and the importance of things no matter the size of them and all this sort of stuff and yeah. is really interesting. Oh, it's um, just, isn't all that well set up? Like it's just I think Tessa Thompson has a line about it being a blue star. It's a yeah, it's a super collapsed star. Super collapsed star. Like the, it's not or super compressed, sorry. But it's not even shown. Star. It's also just told to us. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah, I really didn't um I, I feel like the it was really a problem of writing this movie. It's directed quite well. It looks mm. great. Um, it's performed really well. Yeah. But the writing just isn't there yeah, to yeah. make it interesting. I really, I actually quite like F. Gary Gray. He made the Italian Job 2003 re- mm-hmm. remake, which I just is one of my favorite movies. He also made The Last Fast and Furious, which isn't so great, but he's a really good director. And, he does, and didn't he make the um, – He made uh, Straight Outta Compton as well. Yeah. I feel like he also made that Denzel Washington Western that we saw. Oh yeah, I yeah. think he did. Yeah. So yeah, he's he's, he's done a, a few good things. director. Yeah, he, he is. I think he's a competent director. Mm. Um, I think he works with a lot of scripts that aren't great. Mm. Um, and can't elevate a bad script. But I, there were a lot of things in this that I thought were really, really nicely shot. Like the the foggy Paris stuff especially is mm. really pretty. There's great lighting in this movie. Really interesting uses of lighting that as well. That set that's um, supposed to be the top of the Eiffel Tower. Mm. It's beautiful and steampunky and like delicious. And um, yeah, and, and like I said, there's bits of – there's shots of Chris Hemsworth where he literally looks like he's in a perfume ad. We saw him in a perfume ad before a movie a couple of weeks ago. Oh, it was that hilarious. I don't remember. I an ad for Chris Hemsworth mostly. But there's a couple of scenes where, like, he's in his shirt sleeves fixing his alien motorbike in the desert and just like, that is – and there's this pink lighting. I'm just like, that's so beautiful. Yeah. No, it really is. It, it mm. looks really, really good. Yeah. Um. So, I mean, I found plenty to enjoy in it. I also loved the score. Uh-huh. I found plenty to enjoy in it. I just was really let down by the script. And that mm. ending – the ending is so nothing. Like – I kind of thought there was going to be another half an hour of movie. Like, because, okay, so from the trailer, here's what I thought this movie was, is that um, he's, you know, the reckless whatever, and she's the new, like, straight-laced girl. But then uh, when she comes into the organization, they discover a mole in it, and, like, the people in the organization, like, the men in black have all been either replaced or taken over or whatever, Mm. and so they have to fight against the whole kind of organization, in yeah. London, and like because there's a shot in the trailer of the twins, who we will get to, um, of the twins like forming out of the cosmic dust stuff that they mm. were, 
And then it immediately cuts to a bunch of um, men in black agents coming at Chris Hemsworth. And so I thought that all the men in black agents were that cosmic dust stuff. Yeah. And then so I thought like it would be really interesting to have them have to fight against the whole organization while trying to save the organization. Like that could have been a really interesting concept. But like this movie just ends with them finding oh, no. out that Liam Neeson's the mole. There was just yeah, no shit. There was just one mole, and like no, there was, there's no other like institutional issue. And there's yeah. some really good setup at the in the early parts of this movie, like the way that um, there's some setup around like Men in Black as an institution. I think Liam Neeson even has a line about protecting the institution. Mm. That could have gone in a really interesting direction. But also the way our characters are set up is really interesting. Like Tessa Thompson and her incredible hustle to get into the Men in Black organization. Such a cool story of how that happens and how her tenacity and resilience and ability to kind of figure shit out and then oh but also chris hemsworth and you you talk about him as an abuse survivor and and that's sort of almost how they set it up it's almost Mm. like he's been so traumatized by a job that he's now not able to perform his job as well as he used to like used to be this top agent and he's been through a really bad traumatic experience which they hint at by like he's um poisoned and he he volunteers to sleep with an alien to get the antidote to the poison like pretty awful stuff so you set up this like traumatized but talented guy who might need to come back from that and neither neither of those setups live up to the promise of that right well can, can, just imagine that and then sort of some of the act two that we had and then an act three where they had to like have to like work with c inside the organization against all the other men in black mm. it'd be really really cool and it would pay off that c and h storyline that was going on and all sorts of things like it would be and then and you know it would also pay off the making c the um h the interim head of the London branch. Yeah. Like, because you don't really see him improve from, you know, promising but damaged guy to guy who's worked through his demons and figured his shit out and become worthy of leading the organization. Yeah. No, I feel like there's a whole, yeah, there's a whole third act where they fight missing. the organization missing. Yeah. Um, I think, and I think it could have been really cool. And it would have, I really wanted to see more of that, like, interaction with C as a good guy because I actually think Ray Spall was great in this movie. He was. And he and and Hemsworth have great chemistry, like to the point where I was like, does he have a crush on H yeah. in this? It really seems like he does. Well, yeah, they were really great together in that sort of antagonistic way, but also like C has been the mostly he's mostly not in the field or he's cleaning up after others in the field and he you know, there's misunderstanding between the two of them about how they do their job. That kind of cool conflict there that's set up between them but But also like the concept that they're both actually really loyal to the agency Mm. but like both of them think the other person is not like is not a good agent is really interesting and then if they all got to work together at the end it would have been so cool yeah it would have been so cool but build on those skills that we saw through the first act of tessa thompson figuring out like first she learns there is an mib and then she spends all this time like applying to the fbi and the cia and everyone else trying to figure out how to get in there Mm. Like all all of that tenacity, like put that onto her onto a problem later mm. in the film, which they, I mean, I guess they show her climbing a rock face to get into a fortress, but like it's not quite the same. Like put her at a, no. you need to set set some kind of obstacle in her way where we use those skills for her to overcome it. And they could have brought back the friendship with the blue dude so much better too, mm. but like 
yeah, I, I feel like just cut that whole scene. Nobody's going to miss Rebecca Ferguson. Um, <laughs> no, no. She can't even overact I was, well. I was really sad. I thought they were going to bring in like a cool cameo in that scene of the of Reva, whatever her name is. Reza. Reza. I was like, oh, it's going to be a cool, like a, a really famous actress and it's going to be a cool cameo. And then it was Rebecca Ferguson with stripy hair. And forearms. I liked the forearms thing. I just wish they hadn't wasted it on Rebecca. Like, it could have been somebody who can, like, chew up scenery. She's not even good at that. Yeah, yeah. I can't stand her. Yeah, like, she just wasn't – yeah, it wasn't enough. Like, it would have been much better with someone – I I think more famous, but also, like, just more big in their performance. More over the top. Because, I mean, part of the reason why – like, Emma Thompson is really giving it her all in this. Like, mm. she – knows exactly what kind of movie it is and she's pitching that like she's mm. she's using all the theater training to pitch it to the cheap seats mm. and that's what that part needed as well yeah and speaking of emma thompson and uh chemistry boy was there a lot of chemistry between emma and tessa thompson's like wow they were flirting so hard in that first meeting between them yeah yeah thompson and thompson yeah they, they were, were great they were they were like so they were flirting so hard. Yeah, you Tessa look how Thompson's- good you look in a in a black suit. Yeah, exactly. It was like wow. Um, yeah. yeah, it was so di- it was disappointing, but also like I, I just thought Rizza was the girl that he was sleeping with at the beginning of the movie, the alien girl, the alien girl, because they was he was so shady about how they got together. Uh, I thought that that was what that was. Right, right. Like I didn't quite pick it up. Yeah, I right. thought they'd been together for a long time by he- the time he woke up with her to explain. That and why that was there and stuff. It just doesn't, that, that scene is so pointless otherwise. Mm. It just seems so pointless apart from establishing him as a, you know, sexually traumatized character. Yeah. yeah. Unnecessary rape, basically. Yeah. In this, in the early part of the film. Like we don't need it. Yeah. No, it's awful. I didn't like it at all. And people were laughing and I was like, no, it's gross. I don't like it. Yeah. Yeah. And sorry, back to chemistry though. The other thing is Tessa Thompson and Chris Hemsworth, like there was no sort of romantic subplot, which I really appreciated. And see, I'm not sure they weren't going for a romantic subplot. Yeah. I'm not totally sold. I'm still not totally sold on the idea that the movie wasn't trying to pitch to us. Yeah. That she had fallen in love with him. Sorry. So, yeah, maybe the movie was trying to make us think that. But they, they, they have, like, this really great buddy cop chemistry, mm. which carries over from the Thor movies, which is why it's a good casting to put the two of them together in this. And I actually really, I, I don't know, I really appreciated the the fact that they worked really well together as a team and that kind of friend chemistry that they had or buddy chemistry that they had, partner chemistry, but not romantic chemistry. Yeah. Like, it. I mean, and look, the movie seems confused because, like during that scene there's a lot of really like heavy kind of hinting mm. that there's something going on between them but then there's a look that like c and h shoot each other and then it plays romantic music after that and you're like what are you doing yeah yeah <laughs> with this scene what are you doing here yeah and then the, it seems like emma thompson's line about there being a cost seems to imply that like she you know that tess thompson might have fallen in love with h but h is really in love with c but like <laughs> i know it's, it's, it's yeah right like it's so confusing as to what they're trying to set up there's also that scene the the bike fixing scene Mm. which i you know can forgive you if you were distracted by chris hemsworth's hotness in that scene but like that he's going on about falling in love and how it's all worth it and everything and then they have this really long lingering look at each other but it still doesn't feel like romantic chemistry never it never does so like like i said i think the movie might be trying to sell us something that we're just not buying yeah yeah play isn't shown in the uh in the two of them. And in fact, I, I like it better when we've got um, Kimail's little alien around as well because it makes the trio a nice little team then. 
Yeah, and he's pretty fun. He he could be a lot more annoying than he is, I feel. Yeah, yeah. I also really liked the introduction of those little, like, gnome chess aliens. Mm-hmm. Um, and of which Kamel is one, yeah. Yeah, of which Kamel is one. And when they, like, turn into the metal creature things or metal um, ornament things. Yeah, yeah. It was really, really interesting. Um, I'd love to see more of that. Yeah, there's the the um, special effects in this were so great. Mm. The way that was done, but the uh, the twins who we might as well get to, and the way that they appear out of like cosmic dust, yeah, light stuff um, looked so cool. Before I like go on to my feelings about the twins, which are pretty intense, I will also mention um, the original film had the amazing Vincent D'Onofrio like body possession yes. alien where he like pulled all his skin back and stuff, mm-hmm. which was like ninety percent just performance Mm. and then enhanced by like some prosthetic stuff but he did a lot of that in his performance and he is so good in that movie yeah that was one of the things about the first one that was so good is that you know it's supernatural and sci-fi so there are special effects in it but they really work to blend them into the world in a really like it feels naturalistic yeah there's this weird alien guy or this you know this cat with a, a galaxy on its collar and all this kind of stuff and it's so well done and i think this one it equally looks very good and it kind of combines those supernatural elements pretty well into the world yeah they have some interesting ideas behind a lot of the aliens in this um so the twins are they come in and they they kill this guy so he shows up at the beginning of the film and he's sort of dancing around in marrakesh and made to go fix something and i'm like oh no they're gonna kill the cute boy and then they kill him and then they be, the both of them look like him and i was like no, wait, we get two of him. This is great. They get killed by, he gets killed by hot twins. Yeah. So then there are hot twins as the, well, the alleged baddies for the rest of the film. Well, he, so he like was played by one of those guys and then they look uh, like him. Oh, right. Was he? Okay. Yeah. So he, one of the, so they took on his appearance. Oh, right. Yeah. Okay. I didn't see that. Oh, okay. Cause I was like, oh, this guy is so cute. I'm so disappointed that he's going to die. Right. And he's so like charismatic and stuff. I didn't realize that was not the same guy. Yeah. No. And then they, they, they like, took on his appearance, which right. is why they both look the same. <laughs> Right, except in real life, they're actually twins. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, so um, and I was like, oh no, wait, I get two of him. That's <laughs> great. Right. I'm much happier now. Um, and then so they are um, um, a breakdancing act known mm. as Lay Twins, and um, they have performed at like World of Dance, and they were on So You Think You Can Dance once. So I have seen them before. I was wondering when I was watching, I was like, I feel like I've seen them before. They are so talented and so pretty, and like every time they showed back up, I was really excited because <laughs> I was like, yes, I get to see more of them. And like because of that physicality, they did really interesting things physically through the movie, and like they have that like really, really tight mm. – um, what's the word? When you do stuff at the same time, synchronicity. Yeah, synchronicity. So they they were like their movements were so tightly synchronized. Oh my you know? god! Yeah. Well, you showed me some videos of them dancing, and what I thought might have been CG enhanced in the movie, it looks like they can do without CG. Oh yeah, they're so fast. Like watching them dance, it just doesn't look like it's humanly possible. They're amazing. So yes, I really enjoyed that. They even put in a club scene for them to dance in so that they could Mm. show off the dancing skills, which I very much appreciated. But again, that's one of those ones where like they're supposed to be – like we find out that they're actually not bad guys. Mm. So why do they murder somebody as soon as they get there and then like try and then immediately murder the person that they could just try and steal the Mm. weapon from? Like it just doesn't make any sense to me. I don't understand why there's, you know, if they're supposed to be not bad guys mm. to set up the twist, why not make them do things so that we have some sympathy for them? Yeah, exactly. 
And it's just really poor storytelling. It it really is. But also like the whole the whole villain thing, the hive that they're supposed to they're actually fighting, but they're supposed to be from not established even in the slightest. Even no. the mole is extremely badly established. Yeah, it is so badly established. And like there might be some kind of parallel between the hive and an organization like Men in Black that could have been played up yeah. as well. Well, especially because yeah, I mean, it's what I was talking about before, like talk, the way the institution of Men in Black, like Emma Thompson talking about how, yes, they still call themselves men and she's had that conversation with people and, and Liam Neeson talking about how I'm here to protect the institution but also Liam Neeson finding a guy who kind of reminds him of himself to groom as his successor. Like all that sort of institutional stuff about the organisation and the organisation's, you know, it's it's where you go in a long-running franchise like this. You go from sort of, oh, my God, look at this cool thing where they fight aliens to, oh, wow, look at how this institution has reproduced some of the problems that big institutions have everywhere. Mm, and like, and the first Men in Black brings in um, Will Smith as like something fresh and new for the organization. Yeah. That scene where um, – I keep referring to the first one. I apparently remember it much better than I thought I did. But you know that scene where he's um, – they're testing him and he's in the room full of all of the like aliens hanging around and then there's the little girl with the like way too advanced textbooks yeah, yeah. walking around at night by herself and he shoots her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he gives you the explanation of why. And he's so smart – and, and, you know, when he's explaining what the other guys are doing, he's like, this is just, just, just exercising and he's just, you know, out for a walk. And he doesn't see the aliens as inherently evil just mm. because they look different. Yeah. And that's the same thing with Tessa Thompson as well. She doesn't see them as inherently evil just because they look different. And really importantly, Chris Hemsworth has that. Mm. H has that and C doesn't. Yep. So H is friends with Vungus. Like he sees this alien as his friend, mm. not as a mark or as a, a you know, a source of information, that's his friend. And he sort of does the same thing when he talks about falling in love with Riza. He, he loved her. She was an alien and she was an arms dealer, but he was in love with her, yeah. right? Like he he doesn't sort of automatically assume that just because they're different, they are bad. They're bad and we need to protect, yeah. So like it could have gone really interesting ways with that too and they just don't pick up any of the interesting stuff and instead keep going for the Liam Neeson is the mole thing that we know from minute one. Like there's a – Chris Hemsworth gets knocked down an elevator shaft, comes back up and Liam Neeson's standing there waiting for him and you're like, oh, he's been turned. Mm. Yeah, and so there's a couple of, couple of issues in that as well. Like firstly, I'd love to hear more about how the hive works. Like it sounds like it's the Borg. That's fun. That's interesting. Let's like – show that rather than just be it being so stupidly obvious mm. um but the um the alien thing of mm. of like new blood into the organization and thinking about aliens differently so vargas is an interesting case study as well because as well as being you know h's friend and whatnot he's also like an international criminal and he's an art like he's a they, well, he's not a pr criminal he's a prince they just don't like the, the planet that he comes from is a uh, kind of dicks yeah yeah kind of so they, like, they they're like you have to show him a good time or we'll kill you yeah yeah so but vungus by on his on his own is just a prince guy yeah, he's, he's fine not. but like that's again is one of those things about how in, you know how big institutions you know protect themselves but also protect other powerful organizations and that whole little storyline mm. about you know helping out this prince is really interesting and you can see that for example rafe spall's character is like oh we should not be doing this mm. um yeah he says we've gone from protecting from the scum of the universe to protecting, protecting the, the scum, scum. Yeah, and and that's like that stuff is interesting. There mm. are some aliens who are going to be scum, or there are aliens who are from actively hostile places, and we kind of for political reasons or institutional reasons will protect them. Super interesting little side, side plots that kind of 
go nowhere. Yeah. Um, I also thought it was interesting because, again, the whole um, sexual abuse storyline, in the beginning when Vungus is hitting on Tessa Thompson mm. and she thinks that Chris Hemsworth brought her to pimp her out to Vungus, like it could be really interesting to explore the concept that this is what Chris Hemsworth just thinks the job is at this point because it's been done so many, so many times to him. Yeah, yeah. Fl- flirting with aliens is just part of it. Yeah. Yeah. Like it could be – like that's – there's the interesting storyline with him. Because then you get a cool kind of Me Too storyline, but it's like a man kind of who's so involved in the system that he doesn't realize it's happened to him. Well, yeah. I, I think we've talked about male sexual abuse survivors before. Um, it's been a big sticking point, point for me with Discovery as well. And uh, um, Hunger Games did. It. You don't see it much in the movies, but in the books, um, what's his name? The cute guy's character. I didn't know there was a sexual abuse survivor in that. <laughs> yeah, movie. yeah, no. Um, he's he's so pretty, and then his wife was in Sam Claflin's character. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm. Str- I'm so, struggling to even remember his character. Oh, yeah, no, no. He gets killed off, and his, yeah, he gets killed upset. in the third one. But yep. yeah, everyone's upset because he in the books is a really interesting character who. Um, like has been abused by the system and they pimp him out for to like make yeah, him a right, spy right. for information. And one of the reasons that he turns on the Capitol and is part of the um, revolution against them mm. is because he is a sexual abuse survivor. Yeah, and, so, and that's interesting, right? And Tess Thompson has come into the organization and she's like, no, this is not why I'm here. I'm here because I want to be involved in this. I, I, I know there are aliens and I want to be involved in doing what you guys do. And well, she wants to know the truth of the universe. Truth of the universe. And she's not in, you know, she's like, no, I'm not going to stand for this. Mm. And whereas Hemsworth's like, yeah, whatever. Yeah, it's just part of the job for him. Mm. There's an interesting story there. Mm-hmm. There's so many interesting stories in this movie that aren't in this movie. Yeah, yeah. Like if they'd made it this movie about any of those things, it could have been really cool and interesting mm-hmm. and like really investigated this institution and why it's so important to some people and why it may have screwed over, over other people. Yeah. Like have that tension between C and H comes – come to something yeah and and what like you, you uh, interrogate the statement about protecting the universe uni- universe from the worst scum of the universe like interrogate that think mm. about what that means like spend more time on that yeah yeah <laughs> so like I, i'm just remembering how hard cnh were flirting in their earlier scene as well with all the banter like they were really good. they just seemed very flirty to me but yeah they've got that like alien with the beard and the beard is another alien and all these interesting Mm. ideas and then the only thing they do with that is like the beard alien sneaks away yeah and hides in the water bottle it does provide a really good line for tessa thompson i thought it tasted like living beard yeah about the water that they drink (laughs) yeah yeah there were a couple of one-liners that were actually quite good like obviously the plot plotting is just terrible but yeah sometimes there was an occasional line like that it was really funny the one that made me laugh the hardest, like badly, like to, so that people around me were staring, was when um, Chris Hemsworth goes with the men in black, and then he goes men and women in black, and gives Tessa Thompson this big cheesy thumbs up. That was just like the bit in Ragnarok mm. where uh, he's like, "Oh, when I was a kid, I wanted to be a Valkyrie so much." Yeah, yeah, just and that's that's like the essence of the wonderful chemistry those two have. Yeah, exactly. I really liked that. It was just really funny to me. Um, but they do have such good chemistry. I, I could have done without that. Like, apart from the good lines and stuff, the whole island bit oh, yeah. was so dumb and so pointless. Cut If they'd cut all of that out and skipped to a third act like the one that I've said before, the whole movie would have been so much more yeah, interesting. Yeah. Like, the, literally the only value out of that scene was uh, Chris Hemsworth in his blue shirt and his pink pants driving the fancy yacht. Yeah. 
Like that's it. It was that scene added no value whatsoever. Well, no, because it paid off the the blue dude too, but in the worst way possible. Yeah. And then, can I also talk about the climax and how they solve the problem at the climax? Like, it's so poorly done. It's literally just Tessa Thompson gets thrown into the portal and then Chameleon pulls her back. Mm. And then she just gets the weapon and shoots real hard at the portal. And that's it. Yeah. And and Liam Neeson alien in front of it. Mm. That's it. But, yeah, and this is why it's so badly done because, firstly, you don't set up a proper villain. Secondly, you don't set up the mole properly and you make it far too obvious. And then at the end, the whole thing is just – solved by shooting the weapon that we've established fairly early on in the movie and also like we we've seen this weapon create a basically new grand canyon in a desert on the lower setting so what does she do she puts it all the way up to the highest setting and and shoots it into the sky off the top of the eiffel tower into an into the portal but she didn't know what that was gonna do no and there's we don't ever see the consequences of it either no like that seemed crazy to me. I was like, this is this is Why an unbelievably s- powerful weapon. There is no reason to put it up this high to shoot one guy. Yeah. So yeah, why have you why did you set this this horrible destruction up and then not pay it off either? Yeah, I know. What was that the ending was so poorly done. And then the not just that, like the awkward scene after it. I mean, it did give us more Emma Thompson, but the awkward scene after it where it was all like there's a cost. And then like Tessa Thompson just drives back up and picks up Chris Hemsworth again and dri- they drive off into the sunset together mm. and it just ends. Yep. And you're like, what are you doing? Yeah. What are you doing? This is the worst ending to a movie I've seen in ages. <laughs> <sighs> there's another really weird transition too. I feel like there might have been a bunch cut out of this movie because there's yeah, this transition could have been. when um, Beardy gets away with the weapon. Oh, Yeah. He gets away, it's, there's a shot of the moon, and then there's a shot of them working on the bike. Oh, yes, that was so bizarre. And you're like, what What was this? the point of this moon shot? <laughs> what, what is this transition? Why are we doing this? Yeah. Like, what? I know. And it's not like the really cool F. Gary Gray shot from The Italian Job where, they, where they're in Venice and they pan up to the sky and they go across the sky and they come back down and they're in, like, the Swiss Alps or something. Like, that kind of cool transition. No, nothing. They're just, a, like, a literal half-second shot of the moon. It was a full moon bizarre was it was almost to be like oh it makes sense that they have light because the moon is there and you're like you don't need to explain this dude you do not need no, to put this people in here will figure that out <laughs> Terrible. it's not, not needed can we talk about twists these days <laughs> and how they're shit like why are twists in so many movies that we've seen recently so predictable hmm they're so predictable. And I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm pretty good at predicting twists. Like we've seen a lot of movies. Mm. I watch a lot of TV. I know how these things go, right? But th- things like this and us, uh, from the first scene showing us that like the people have been replaced or whatever, they're showing us the twist in, in the first scene and mm. not really hiding it at all. Yeah. And I'm like, why are you doing this? Well, remember that was the thing with the remake of Suspiria as well. Like in oh, the yeah. original Suspiria, there's this great like, I it's a wacky movie, but the witches thing does not come out until the end. Mm. But the remake, well, no, they talk all the way through about the how they're witches. <laughs> but like, like the, the actual witch, like there's a reveal on that. Yeah, but the remake is like it's obvious from really really early on. It's so obvious that people mention it in like up front in their reviews and plot summaries. Yeah, it's like yeah, I, I, it's weird. Like do. Do people think that audiences are stupider now or do they think that because they 
are being encouraged to like simplify things for the international market that they're not just trying to simplify but they're trying to make it so that it's like that the audience is too stupid to pick a twist like what what or to enjoy a twist i don't understand I don't either. I don't. And and Jordan Peele's a great filmmaker. Like there must be a reason that he decided that he has to be so super. Luca Guadagnino. Like they, they and F. Gary Gray. To be honest, like they're good filmmakers. These people. Yeah, but I, yeah, like I said, I don't really think F. Gary Gray does much with scripts. No, he clearly doesn't. <sighs> like I think he just shows us what the script had. Yeah, no, he's one of those ones. Who, the sort of we call them journeymen on the radio, but one of those guys who turns up and one of those directors who turns up and can like turn their hand to whatever. Yeah, but he makes the movies look good. Yeah, yeah. Right? Like, they look great, but mm. I don't think he – I mean, he's, you know, but yeah, he's George, not really great at establishing three-act structures and all that Us stuff. Us is a weird one too because, like, that's not trying to get the Chinese market or whatever. Yeah. That's not sort of trying to appeal to kids like this one would be. It's just, like, it's supposed to be an adult film. It's definitely about America. It's definitely aimed at Americans. Mm. And it's – um and, and Get Out assumes, like – a smart audience yeah and and kind of plays with that and goes you think you're smart but but also assumes that you've got a certain level of uh, comprehension in the way that he makes it and so us is really weird i agree i think that's weird um and i I don't understand why we have to have these really predictable twists i also figured out that high t had neuralized h pretty early on is that like that seems like the more twisty thing at the end that he neuralized him but yeah it was really obvious because he kept repeating himself and everybody else kept repeating and i was mm-hmm. like oh he neuralized him he yep. clearly implanted a false memory of what happened yeah, they, here they show that on multiple occasions mm. yeah. um uh, yeah i wrote that i really like the orchestration on the score at the beginning oh yeah you were talking you were talking about that as we were leaving the cinema because it's very it's a very old school score that plays on the um the earlier films especially yeah. the 90s Era ones, yeah. It, it, I mean, it, it is. It's got all of the elements. The like spy music sort of mm, thing. Cool stuff. Um, but I really like how they employed it. Not just that mm. the score was good, but they employed it really neatly. Like they, it's it's almost cartoonish. Mm. And it's like you know when Hemsworth's about to punch somebody, it, it you know lets you know that that's going to happen and <laughs> yeah. stuff like that. But I didn't mind that because it's a, sort of a cartoonish series. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's, it's based on comic books. Yeah, so I thought that kind of made and it sense. And it is actually aimed at kids as well. Like, I don't know if you'd call them kids' movies, but definitely this came out. This first one came out when we were kids and it was hugely popular. Mm. Maybe tweens and teens more than, yeah. like, small kids, but definitely this is, like, a family-friendly franchise. Well, except that he has sex with an alien at the beginning. Yeah. Like, that doesn't make any sense for the family-friendly nature of it. I know. Yeah, yeah that whole scene could have been, yeah. Yeah, that was another excised. scene. Except, I, I mean, one of my notes says, what's scarier than a snake? Three-headed snake. Um, yeah. it, it almost was there just to remind us that he exists and it's not just Tessa Thompson. But, you know, there's a terrible mind the gap joke at the beginning that kind of sets you up for... Oh, yeah. Yeah. Fortunately, most of the humor in the rest of the movie wasn't like that. I wrote that Hemsworth is doing his vague english thor accent yeah it was it's an odd one well it kind and of was, sounds like kate blanchett's to be yeah fair. it does and kind of a what do you what would you call it like a, you know how they say mid, mid-atlantic for like half american half british it's like half australian half british yeah. which is different yeah it, it is an odd accent but it's fine it works fine for it's him. fine but i feel like it it sounds especially out of place up against like rafe spall mm who is doing a very specific thing here, mm. whereas Chris Hemsworth is so broad, it like when he's bantering with him, it it sounds a little out of place, mm. like he's not actually English, which he isn't. 
the universe has a way of leading you to the mo- to where you're supposed to be at the moment you're supposed to be there, uh-huh. which doesn't pay off. I <laughs> wrote a lot of notes about light- lighting. Oh, I also wrote a note about Tessa Thompson's weird costume when she was going to the uh, – when she learns about where the alien is and she- Jimmy, who was hilarious, by the way, and – um, and also is kind of like a joke from the first one where they read all the like trashy tabloids. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I wrote like, why is she wearing a hoodie, a jacket, and then a short skirt and boots? Oh, oh yeah. So that and the hoodie was red as well, like a red riding mm. hood hoodie. But then she also just like abandons her coat. Yeah. And I'm like, no self respecting New Yorker would just throw a coat on the street. No, leave it in the ca- in the taxi. It's like good grief. Yeah, I don't know. It's to show like she's way too distracted and whatever. They also have her and. This isn't shown too often, but I, and I think it's because of the height difference between her and Chris Hemsworth in these really high heels. Emma Thompson wears them as well, neither of whom, either in the characters they're playing here or in real life, are like the kind of women who wear big heels. Well, and Emma th- Thompson has, but she takes them off halfway through all yeah, the shows. Yeah, but they've put them both in these big heels, and I think it's mostly so that when they get the so, so that the sight lines between the two of them are easier to do. Mm. But you also see her in these heels, and you're like, there's no way this woman, this kind of woman – who is like this, is wearing – they're like combat boots with like four-inch heels and they look so strange. Yeah, no. Yeah, it's clearly for the height. It's just the height thing. Um, And you actually don't – your attention is not drawn to it too much because it does look so weird. Yeah. Also, she has a line when she's flirting with Emma Thompson, apart from I found you, which I thought was really a lot of sexual tension as well. Um, She says, I have no life. I have no dog, no cat, definitely no chill. And I really like that. That was a great line too, yeah. And then when they let her in, like, whenever she, like, does something well, she gets this huge grin, like, big cheesy grin on her face that I've never seen Tessa Thompson do ever in the whole career of watching her. Her nerdiness in this is so wonderful. She never has any chill. And she's always so excited about achieving new things and learning stuff. Yeah. This is what I'm saying. She disappears into that part so perfectly. Yeah, I really liked that. Um, Hemsworth is looking exceptional. Great. I mean, he was, but yes. That goes almost goes without saying. I also wrote that the audience was speciesist oh. um, because they all laughed at like the peeling the tentacle off the stomach bit. Um, I think I've just read too much Star Trek fan fiction for that part. And I was like, what? It seems fine. The bigger problem here is the sexual assault, well, not the fact that she has tentacles. That's fine. Right. <laughs> just thought it was funny. Oh, I didn't like the, the, I wasn't a huge fan of the train thing. Oh yeah. Okay. Where like the train changed really dramatically. And I was like, what's the point of this? Is it just to look cool? Because, like, it seems like, A, not so much science fiction as just magic. Like, the stuff that they're, that appears in that train comes out of absolutely nowhere. Mm. So that annoyed me, I think. It just, like, it didn't seem like it actually kind of could happen. Yeah, so you wanted it to be more like when they are in the street fighting the twins and they, the, they go to, like, the mirror of the car and turn it around and it – Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah, no. it's more integrated, which is what we were talking about earlier when I talked about we talked about how the first one has these wonderful integrated special effects, and that's mm. sort of the spirit of these movies is the special effects are kind of integrated. Yeah, like and beard I, alien. And I, I, th- I just, th- I think it would look cooler if it was like a janky old. Tr- it looked like a janky old train still, but it was like very high speed and taking them places. Would have looked much cooler than like the sleek interior and everything changing. Mm. Also, I'm sure she was carrying something when she went into that she had train. A briefcase, it, yeah, yeah, and it vanishes. Well, it, and they actually make a plot point of when the when the when it first changes, briefcase goes flying and she catches it. Oh, and then she gets off in London and goes to MIB headquarters. And I but don't. But she's know not we, carrying it when she sits down in the thing and straps herself in. It's gone. No, she's not. 
and and I wondered about it, but then two seconds later, it goes flying past her, and she catches it. Oh. So she's put it down somewhere. Confusing. Um, yeah, but then, then it never appears again. Point. And and it's so like, I don't know. I I just thought it. Yeah, it was it was too on the nose. Right. Can there be more than twenty six agents at a time? Oh yeah, because the the letters of the alphabet. And also, what happens if like Chris Hemsworth's Henry shows up and he's H, but then like I don't know, say. Harold or Harriet comes along, like, yeah. What happens then? You do you just be like, well, D is unallocated at the moment, or <laughs> we already have an H, so sorry, we can't recruit you. Yeah, <laughs> like it doesn't. It, and no. clearly, there isn't because when C comes on his uh, cleanup missions, he's got like huge teams of people to help help him clean up. Uh, yeah, I sort of wonder if there's like lesser agents that don't have an initial right, names. So there's 26 then... people who get to make it as an agent, and then like, yeah, yeah. But even then, like, um, Molly was probationary. M was exactly. probationary. So, my notes, by the way, on the, that, that section, um, with the twins is cute dancing boy in Marrakesh gone get it. Ooh, now we get two. That's what <laughs> my notes are. So, right. Um, I was not misrepresenting my feelings in that scene. No, that is right. completely I, accurate. I, I did sit next to you during this movie. I do, kn- and I, I just knew it was one of those things, like when you see bad teaching on a movie and I'm like, I can feel it emanating from you yeah hot dancing twins is definitely up my alley yep there was that um time manipulation bit with the alien called nelly in uh, men in black oh, headquarters yeah, yeah, yeah. as well who, who i was i looked up afterwards and it wasn't but i was like oh i bet that's Catherine tate doing a cameo wasn't it was another actress but yeah that that was um yeah that was another thing uh, it also it doesn't pay off she only appears in that scene no and, and you it's- never see her again like i i I can totally understand the other agents thinking Chris Hemsworth is hot and wanting to perv on him. Like the, um, made me think of the scene in, sorry, this is a terrible show, but private practice where, um, Chris Lowell walks through after having a, a surf. No. Yeah. I remember that because that was the only reason why I started watching yeah, that show. And he's, he's like the, the, yeah, exactly. He's a male midwife in this practice of three female doctors and he walks through the foyer and all of the women in the whole office are like, just, you know, standing there watching him come in every day after his surf. Yeah. Like it reminded me of that, but then, there was no payoff for it. There was no, like, this this alien. Because the little guy with the South African accent and the four glasses, two pairs of glasses, he comes back at one, one other time. Well, see, at first I thought it was him that was manipulating the time because I was like, oh, sassy gay alien sidekick. Yeah, yeah. But they don't even make that much. No, he, at least he comes back. But she doesn't even come back. No. The um, Catherine Tate alien. I don't – it's weird. Like, it would make more sense, yeah, if it was – another female character who appears later on or whatever, yeah. or, or a sassy gay character. Well, yeah, just make the four-eyed alien a sassy gay character and have him do it instead mm. of adding another female character just for that moment. But also, yeah, like as you say, we actually get more than enough scenes of perving on Chris Hemsworth in this movie. <laughs> I don't I, – I, yeah, I ne- never thought I'd complain about that. And he looks wonderful in each of them, but like also there's a lot of them. Yeah. You could probably cut them back. Also, can't you just do it with the camera instead of having like somebody in the movie objectify him? It's icky. And then um, there's the scene where Tessa Thompson is introducing herself to H as a Jababian wonk, which I thought was such a weird turn of phrase. Like, do Americans say that? I feel I don't like that's know not that something Americans American say the word wonk either. I think I'm not sure though. It's only a word I learned like. After I had myself worked in many worked in government and around policy for many many years, so I don't even know where that word comes from. I feel like it's either brilliant research on her part in terms of like learning very quickly what English, yeah, like, learning English phrases very quickly, or way out of place. Yeah. Anyway, we'll find it in the dictionary and put it in the show notes because I don't know. But when she walks away from him and like does the little like grinny thing, 
I wrote, she's so cute. Yes, perfect she's little so nerd. Adorable. Perfect. Love her. And that part of her character that kind of disappears later on, like the um, hardworking nerd who's really always really pleased with learning and accomplishments mm. and, and getting things done, that kind of dies off towards the end of the film and it's really sad because it's a lovely part of her character. Yeah, I agree. I thought it was cool how they lodged the car in the side of the building. Um, and the like. The, the other thing that kind of doesn't pay off when they do the um, – the like wave earthquake in the ground. Oh yeah, that only comes back one other time. Yeah, that was a bit disappointing that they didn't do more with their ability to mm. manipulate matter and stuff. Yeah, again, like just no setup on the, any of the villains. Yeah, I thought it was cool that they had those paintings of the big fights in the in <laughs> T's office. Yeah, yeah, one of them was um from the original movie. Yeah, throwbacks. That, that were nice. Oh yeah, that was the the second movie had um. That skinny woman is the bad guy who was all the rage for like five minutes in the 90s or early 2000s. What was her name? I don't know, but I can look it up. I feel like it starts with C. Anyway, I wrote Mole 101. Oh, right, when they were like... Oh, Lara Flynn Boyle. Lara Flynn Boyle, that's her. You wrote Mole 101 because it was so... Um, obvious no no no, because it's something that they, that is actually said oh right. in that like oh yeah 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 of course that sounds like mole 101 yeah, yeah. yeah also there's a scene there where i'm fairly saw that, sure that rafe spall is just ad-libbing with an extra who was sitting there because <laughs> like the extra just sits there not saying anything and he just keeps talking to him excellent extraing work yeah exactly I wrote uh, Molly is clearly a Disney princess because she's gotten her own Disney sidekick. When, yeah, yeah. When she got. Well, she's a Disney queen. <laughs> Disney queen, sorry. Yes. <laughs> well, I suppose I am a queen in the sense that all women are, but I'm not. Uh, yeah, but it's that was funny, funny though. And that was part of the appeal of um, the Kumalian, which is not his actual name. I know it's he has a name. Pawnee. Which makes me think of Pawnee, like Pawnee, Indiana. Mm. But yeah, the whole like the combination of his deference to um, to whoever he's serving, but also his like the rest of him like he's so funny yeah and when he's like i have to kill myself in the most painful possible way and he clearly don't doesn't try to stop me yeah yeah the conflict between being a pawn and also like actually being a person and not wanting to live in a world that makes you um subservient yeah later on um tessa thompson also has a line that science and fun are not mutually exclusive <laughs> that i liked as her little nerdiness yeah exactly i also called the uh the scene where they were working on the bike their kirk and spock scene because it's all like you are only logical and don't care about love and yeah, she's yeah. like well it's illogical because it's just chemical reactions and i was like okay guys yep. and the chameleon is absolutely bones mccoy yes and when he's still <laughs> going between them my lady the jackass wants a talk wrench is the one i wrote down but he had a lot of good lines <laughs> yeah, a lot in that of that scene. stuff yeah where they weren't talking to one another reese's for- fortified fortress of for sure death was funny too mm-hmm it was weird because it was the only time that they they interacted with the title screen. Yeah, it is, and it's a nod to them. It's more comic-y. It's a nod yeah. to the sort of comic book um, of this. Oh, that's that island scene also had the uh, hammer throwing bit. Yes, <laughs> with the tiny hammer. Yeah, that was really funny. That was really it. funny. I liked that and appreciated that gag. Uh, I'm assuming that car thing was a product placement. I didn't know what oh, kind the, of car it was. The but... Lexus. Yeah, I would say so. Um, but. Obviously, the uh, Australian audience appreciate the, you know, driving on the right, driving on the left joke. Yeah, except she's been in cars. We've seen her in cars since she got to England. So that was dumb. I know. Yeah. My last note is, wow, they really didn't know how to end it. So, And the last scene was also very, like, trope 101. Like, look, the alien is morphing into a scarier looking alien. Oh, the MacGuffin is moving around and somebody has to grab it. Like, well, yeah, that is this movie. Um, That made me think of, like, you know, in... The second Indiana Jones movie, 
where he, there's an antidote. Yep. And it's like he's trying to get it with all the feet and they're all kicking it around and stuff. Uh-huh. And I was like, A, that movie knew to use it in their opening fight scene and B, still did it much better than this. Yeah, no, it's just another example of the terrible um, plotting in this movie. I think I've talked almost as much about other movies as I have this one in this one. You have but. not. Um, we've definitely talked about this movie and for more than enough time, to be honest, that it's worth. Okay. I feel like you should put links to like Lay Twins videos in the show Well, notes. yes. Send me a good one and I'll, I'll put it in. Okay. But we should probably give this movie a, a rating. Oh, yeah. I'm going to give it three stars. Like, I was sort of thinking it was around three and a half just for all the fun and the chemistry until that ending which really pulled it down for me yeah i yeah i had a lot of fun i wasn't having the same debate actually about halfway through recording this podcast like three and a half would be the nice thing to do but it really probably is only a three-star movie yeah Um, as much fun as it is yeah okay cool all right. Thank you very much for listening to the Silver Screen Queens podcast. If you would like show notes or old episodes, they're on our website, silverscreenqueens.com. And if you want to find us on social media, we're at screen underscore queens on Twitter and facebook.com forward slash silverscreenqueens. Thank you for listening. Bye. Bye.